this time, Barnabas Grayson, if you would come with this sermon today, may to God be the glory. See you. Get, waves. Get this out of my pocket here. Good afternoon, everyone. In the book of Psalms, chapter 22, verse 23, it says, You that fear the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? In what way? What does it mean? You that fear the Lord, praise him. All you, the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you, the seed of Israel. So we see from this scripture that we're going to look at some key words here. Three words that you probably can pick out here just by circling it. If you had your Bible open, you could probably do that, but. We have the word fear, we have the word praise, and we have the word glorify. When King David said these words, he had been in a, well, he was in a state of anxiety. He was suffering. He had some troubles on his mind, and he was feeling helpless as though God had abandoned him. Does that sound like a familiar tune to some of us? Well, <clears throat> this is why most of the world is experiencing all kinds of strifes, all kinds of afflictions, all kinds of sufferings, because many do not look at those key words that I just mentioned. So we see King David in verse 1 of chapter 22, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring or his, his groaning? Ever get to that point where you're just groaning and just roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you hear not. And in the night season, and am not silent. We know that these psalms are prayers that were written down from the hand of David, and they were given to the uh, chief musician uh, to, be, uh, to become a hymn. Now we know that even though David felt forsaken, he did maintain the utmost respect for the eternal God because he feared him. Verse 3, but you are holy, O you that inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you did deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. You know, sometimes we are confounded because we, we get puzzled. Sometimes because maybe a prayer isn't answered or because uh, certain things are going on in our life that doesn't seem to have any uh, solution to it. We're confounded. But David had faith and he had hope that God was going to answer. And he was humble. He humbled himself before God, and he said in verse 6, But I am a worm, and no man 
a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. All of those things. Now, uh, as we read these scriptures, we know that they compare to the way Christ was feeling at the time of his crucifixion. Because in Matthew 27, in verse 37, there was set up over his head this accusation that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And there were two thieves that were crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. We see how he was mocked, how he was scorned, how he was made fun of, just like any Christian might be this day. Verse 39, And they that passed by him, they reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, You that destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. So they were saying all things just to taunt him. Likewise also the chief priests, those you know who were religious, they were also mocking him with the scribes, along with the scribes and the elders. Well, they said he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. So we see how David felt the same way. Just a, 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 a forevision of the way Christ would feel when he was crucified on the cross. Back to Psalm uh, 22. Continue here in verse 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. And we can compare these with other scriptures, and I uh, won't go through all those, uh, of how Christ, uh, how Christ suffered. So we see, as we read deeper into this psalm, including chapters 23 and 24, and as a matter of fact, you go through all the psalms, it reminds us of the sufferings of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic vision of how Christ lived for us, how he overcame and came to glorify God the Father for our sake. Verse 11 of chapter 22. He says, David begs, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Drop on down to verse 19. Again, he said, Be you not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Hasten to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, that is, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you have heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the congreg congregation while I praise you. And so we come back to verse 23 here in chapter two, uh, 22 where we started. You that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you the seed of Israel. As I mentioned, there are times in our life when we too might feel like we are abandoned, that God is not listening to us, that he's not hearing us, that our prayers are not uh, uh, being answered. But in this verse, we see what builds a family. We see what builds a church. We see what builds a nation and points them in the right direction. 
And it all has to do with fearing God. It has to do with praising God. It has to do with glorifying Him. So we're going to look first at this word fear. To us, this word means like having dread or apprehension about some impending trouble or danger. Have you ever had fear? It, it comes in various degrees and in sometimes situations where it's really ins insignificant. Like sometimes, you know, in, in, I know when I was uh, in, uh, in a speech class that the feelings that I had there in high school got before the entire body of, uh, uh, of students there and somewhere my voice just left. You'd have thought I was like freezing up, up here. And later on, when my friend said uh, to me, he said, I thought you were going to die up there. <laughs> There's all kinds of fear that a person can have. But this word fear can mean dread or apprehension. You probably said it to yourself at times that, oh, I'm dread today because I got to go to the doctor or I got to go see uh, somebody about something. So there's app uh, the word fear has apprehension of impending trouble or danger. But it also means, in another way, having awe and having respect and profound reverence toward God. In the Old Testament, when you read about fear, it's like being terrified. In the New Testament, we see it's upon the reverence toward God, toward His greatness, and toward His mercy. In Psalm 11, it says that, the, that fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are certain things that we're taught to have respect for. You know, those who work around electricity, like Tony, right? You've got to have respect for the power of, of, that, uh, of that unseen force that flows through those lines. You can't mishandle it because it is unforgiving. And so you have a respect, you have a fear. In the same way, knowing that God is and that he stands by his word, that's one of profound knowledge. God knows. He knows his works. He knows what he, he has made. And so we, uh, even uh, in his laws and his commandments, that there is a you know, cause for every effect. In Deuteronomy 6, 13, Verse 12, beware lest you forget the Lord, lest you forget him. Because, you know, you can forget pretty easy by putting other things in front of your daily life. You forget the Lord. You forget what he made you for. You forget his will. And you forget because other things just get in the way. Beware lest you forget the Lord which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. You know, Egypt, uh, Israelites came out of Egypt. But we also can apply this to our own life when he brought us out of our own Egypt, our own sin, our own uh, house of bondage. Verse 13, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are about you, round about you. So a lot of good can come just out of knowing 
that God is and able to save and that there is no other. Psalm 25 says, verse 12, What man is he that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. So the one that fears the Lord opens his mind to instruction, opens his mind to correction, and puts his faith and trust in the word of God and the promises that he has made in, in different ways. And his soul shall dwell at ease. Psalm 33, verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. You know, when things uh, come up short, and we know that there's a time coming when there will be famine, there will be lacks, where is it going to come from? We're going to have to depend upon our Savior, our Lord God, to deliver us. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, and that's the attitude we take. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. We have trusted in his reputation and in his honor. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in you. And as it was mentioned in the first message, that great is his mercy toward them that fear him. There are a lot of scriptures, of course, that have this word fear in it. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, from Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is prolongeth days, Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. So, <clears throat> many people wonder, well, why people do bad things to each other, as we see done in our society today? Why is there crime? Why is there hatred? Why is there lying? And all these things where man is just at odds with each other, nationally, internationally, and so on. It's because there is no fear of, the, uh, of God. <clears throat> Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the eternal, and depart from evil. And it shall be health to your navel, and marrow to your bones. And once more, so far has he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So, when you fear the, the eternal, you're going to respect his power. You're going to respect his authority in your life. Now let's look at um, praising God. This word praise. When we praise God, we show him our thanks. We give him thanks for the blessings that we have. But sometimes in our trouble, we, we don't see them clearly. But if we take the time and just, like the song says, to start counting the blessings, it makes our burdens easier to carry. Accentuate the positives, is another, as another saying goes, not like the negative, as most of us do. You know, sometimes we can find ease and comfort and praise toward God for just coming in from work and going to our easy chair and sitting there. 
because it is a blessing to have a chair to sit on, especially if it's cushioned and padded. There's a lot of blessings that we have. We've got a house, shelter to go to, when there, we know that there are many in the world that aren't as fortunate as we are. And so we sometimes take for granted a lot of the simple things that we have. But once we start looking at them, being appreciative, even for the shoes we wear, we praise God that we're able to have those things. But then sometimes we look at, well, you know, uh, I've got uh, my pants are wearing out. Actually, you know, today's pants, the way uh, especially teens wear them nowadays, they like them with holes in them. I would have been in style a long time ago. There might be some in my trunk, too. I don't know. But <coughs> we often tend to look at what we don't have. But when you look just sincerely at what you have, there's a lot of things to be to appreciate, whether it's the thing you set on, the, the meal at your table, uh, your mate that is by you, your wife, your husband, your kids, so on. So that's praising God in all of those things, accentuating the positive things that we have in life. In Matthew 26, verse 19, here's another way that we praise God. The disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. How, you know how? how Christ must have been feeling at that time. Yet he didn't get up and grab the guy by the lapels and ask him, why are you betraying me? He just let it come to pass. But they were all exceeding sorrowful. This whole group of disciples, they were exceeding sorrowful because of the words Christ was describing and telling them about how things were going to be in the next few hours. And began every one of them to say, uh, unto him, well, Lord, is it I? So they didn't know. They, they thought in themselves that I must have done something that's going to cause this, that has caused us great sorrow. And he answered and said, He that dips his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, but one to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. But Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, You have said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. We know that he was talking about his word that he was going to leave them with. And he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth this fruit of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when, it says, they had sung a hymn, they went out in, unto the mount, into the Mount of Olives. So, uh, songs can lift you up. It can help you in many ways to understand and get in touch with the feelings that you may be having at the present time. And you can find things worth, you know, praising God for in those songs. 
Sometimes you go along in a song and the words may not exactly strike you, but somewhere in the words you will find some that uh, brings a heartfelt stab to, you, to, to yourself. You feel it. So songs, so hymns are that way. In Ephesians 5, in praising God, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So to be wise and not be unwise, but to understand the will of the Lord is, involves you know, looking at the word of God. It involves study. It involves going into the Bible, knowing, uh, learning about uh, certain things. And, you know, we, we don't know everything. Maybe you do, but I don't. But it takes time. It takes study to understand what the will of the Lord is. But be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So that's how you praise God. You can do it that way. And we do it, you know, when we're here as a holy convocation before God on the Sabbath, that we sing and praise God using uh, words that, you know, are appropriate to our doctrine and appropriate to our faith in Christ. And then... <coughs> Giving thanks always. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, there's a lot of things, as I said, you can give thanks for. And uh, I never thought about it until I just now read this scripture that uh, I have this, we, we have this dog at the house. His name is Bonnie. It's, uh, I forgot the, a collie like what is it called a shelter see and um, whenever I'm out there I can throw a frisbee and she'll run after it and she'll jump in the air and get it I mean she likes to chase everything and she'll keep dropping it out your foot want you to play there whether it be a ball or a little plastic thing she just wants to chase it and I just now thought you know it says to be thankful for all things and you know in some way that dog kind of relieves my stress and I can be thankful for that, that thing, that dog, because it does bring a, a certain part of a blessing to my life, to our life. And it does, you know, to the grandkids when they see the uh, dog running. So, you know, we can be thankful for all things. We can be thankful for our job, for our car. Thankful that it starts. We, I have a Jeep that's beginning to, sometimes you gotta charge it up and it doesn't start. And uh, be thankful. Oh, it started, you know, one more time. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it started today. So we can be thankful. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves also one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another. Not trying to rise above the other, but, you know, together. Submitting to each other. It's like, you know, when we was coming out of the room there earlier on, uh, Art and I, we, we were standing side by side, and the door is only wide enough for, you know, maybe one person to get through. And so, so Art says, after you, and I said, no, after you. We're submitting <laughs> to one another, you know, 
to get, who goes out the door first. So I went ahead and went, or we'd, we'd have been there all day. <laughs> Colossians 3. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. You know you are the elect of God. So put on, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. We're holy and we're beloved. Bowels of mercies. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering. And that doesn't have to be just, you know, between us as members in particular in this particular body of Christ. But that also could apply to even people we don't know as we go to the mall or store or even along the highway, along Highway 69, whatever. Meekness, long-suffering. And I'm afraid sometimes that sometimes I'm, you know, driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. You know, the meekness goes out the window and you want to, you want to, you know. Anyway, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. That's how we glorify God, because his spirit of love is in us. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So, verse 16, let the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in honor of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So we have a duty to show ourselves a workman unto God by studying his word and doing according to that word. That's how you get the, uh, the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. But we know that we can also give God praise in our personal prayers, the things that we do for others, in whatever way is good, in whatever way is right. Now let's look at glorifying God. To glorify means, you know, we elevate God as special and admirable. And there are many ways to acknowledge him, just as uh, mentioned earlier. Because we know that there are many, many things that, uh, that can glorify him. To God be the glory. In what ways? As our creator, for one. Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We know that the word created is from the Hebrew word bara, which implies a perfect creation. Isaiah 45, verse 12, he said, I have made the earth and created a man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. So when you look up into the sky at night, you see all of these stars, and they're still expanding, they're still stretching out that those were made by his hands so many billions of years ago. In Job 38, and the important thing about that too, as we notice in the scripture, is he said, I have made the earth and created man upon it. He created us, you know, Adam and Eve, and on down the line to us who are sitting here in these chairs. Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, or this storm, and he said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins, 
like a man, for I will demand of you and answer you me. So he's saying, Job, brace yourself, Job. Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. So we know that science is always looking to see how these things that we see physically around us, how they all came uh, about. Verse 5, who has laid the measures thereof, if you know, or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? On what were its footing set to hold in place? So, you know, these things that are questions here in the Bible, you know, Job understood, you know, what a, a line for measuring would be and what a, a, a scale would be, a yardstick would be. But these are questions that could be applied to those scientists who are trying to f figure out uh, these things. Uh, what were its footings set? On what were its footings set to hold it in place? Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know, the earth is much older than 6,000 years. And I didn't see the uh, creation versus uh, evolution debate, but I think they were getting at the point that earth was only 6,000 years. was kind of kind of upset the, the, uh, the explanation of the creationists. But the earth is much older than 6,000 years. Written history goes back to about 6,000 years. But we know from reading the rest uh, of the Bible that earth was, was first inhabited by angels, that they lived here. Now, according to you know, the Big Bang Theory, the universe is around 14 to 15 billion years old. It's pretty old. The sun is uh, only have 5 billion years left before it burns out, and it's, it started out as 10 billion years old. So we know that uh, this Big Bang, it's surmised from these studies that the universe is expanding, so there must have been a starting point. There was a beginning that started it all. In verse 8, we're looking at, you know, the glory of God in his creation here. Or who shut up the sea with the doors when it break forth as it had issued out of, uh, of the womb? You've seen giant waves, tsunamis, and, you know, where people might be standing on the boardwalk and a big splash of uh, water comes roaring over the rocks and it just sort of washes them backward. You know, the ocean is pretty powerful. Those waves that go up and down. I've never been out on a boat on an ocean, but I, you know, there was a, a movie called The Perfect Storm where you get, uh, the boat just couldn't handle that storm that, and there's just no way, but only God could control it. And so he has control over those, those things. And God made it so, uh, so, so that these mighty waves could be corralled, they could be controlled and go no further. Verse 9, where were you when I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and broke up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shall you come, but no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verse, in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So, you know, it, when you have an opportunity, you know, you look at the moon, the stars, and you can see his handiwork and wonder 
exactly how how could it all come about it's you know beyond our understanding beyond our imagination in a way but evolutionists want us to believe everything happened by accident in fact the whole idea behind evolution is is to say there is no God or no God was needed but that's another subject but the Word of God where it says thy word is truth assures us that it was God who founded the heavens and the earth and to him belongs the glory in Nehemiah 9 in verse 6 you even you are Lord alone you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts the earth and all things that are therein the seas and all that is therein and you preserve them all and the host of heaven worships you so when you see these things we know that it is by the hand of God that it was made so where does this all lead to in John 1 it was all created for a purpose we know that in verse 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in verse 3 that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made in him was life and the life was the light of men and in verse 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe and verse uh, 9 that was the true light which lights lighteth every man that comes into the world he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not he came into his own and his own received him not but in verse 12 the purpose but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name so Christ is our gift he is was given to us by God the Father you know you reach out for a gift and whether it's uh, something that somebody says as a gift that's coming or as a gift that you know it just handed to you we reach out to Jesus Christ in Colossians 1 there's a I have uh, numerous scriptures but I'm not going to go go through uh, all them but just want to drop down to verse uh, 14 in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God you know it says that no man has seen God the firstborn of every creature for by him were all things created in heaven in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions principalities powers all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things cons uh, consist and, and he is the head of the body the church so we glorify the father as our creator and all things that we see and you know even don't see invisible things you know that we don't see that's in the air between you and I things that are taking place within our body the cells and the blood and all of that the air we breathe so we then glorify God as father in John 1 we see that you know Christ was in verse 14 that the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory 
the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we see this God being, this spiritual being, from a place called heaven, to become flesh, to dwell among us, us earthly uh, beings. He came, as we know, you know, to show the way, to be like him. And John bear witness of him. The early disciples, we know, were privileged to see uh, God through Jesus Christ. Uh, like one of the disciples asked, said, uh, show us the Father and, we'll, and that'll suffice us. But uh, Christ said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He replied to in that everything that Christ was doing, that he had shown them by example, that that was the way to follow, that he was the image of God in mercy and in love and in kindness. So, yet we sometimes wonder, well, what is God like? And answering that question can help us to glorify God. First of all, in Psalm 90, I'm not going to read uh, all of this, but we know that he is everlasting. And in verse uh, 4, we see a thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. You know, he told Adam that you're made from the dust of the earth, with ground, and, and unto dust shall you return. We only live so long because, you know, we're temporary. And we know that it's appointed unto man once to die. But even though, those that are asleep, we know that life will end on this earth for us, and yet we'll live in the twinkling of an eye into that future time when we are awakened by the shout of an angel and we feel ourselves being lifted up off the earth, feel this exhilaration, this rapture, this, this very glorious feeling that we are being resurrected. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. A thousand years, you know, time is really something that can either go by slow for us, like perhaps some of you are feeling, you know, time going by slow today, but while I'm up here, but you know, or it can go by fast. But every day people die, and time passes. We're like the uh, grass, we're like the flowers. In the morning it flourishes and grows up, in the evening it's cut down and withers and so on. But we see the everlasting quality of God compared to man's frailty. The, uh, and the consequences of uh, God's anger, which is against sin. Verse 10 of um, Psalm 90. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, labor, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, even according to your fear, so is your wrath. So in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I know I've told you before that I have this little wooden plank at the house, and on it I have the dates from the date I was born in 1907, no, 1948. That's when this, uh, Oklahoma became a state. But 1948, born in a little town called Shakota. That little place that I was born, it was just about a four-room hospital. It's, it's torn down now, but I have this plank that I have the dates on, 
and some you know important thing that kind of shows up good for that year and uh, so I put the dates front and back and I approximated well you know uh, 70 years and uh, so I'm about five years short of that 70 years I don't know what's going to transpire and, and that I'm going to write down though but you know there's something to this teach us to number our days why that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom and we see nevertheless that God does allow us to enjoy our brief life and experience things we see both good and bad and we see life as it changes in ourselves and in our loved ones we see our children grow up and we see our children have children a lot of things transpire between the time we are born and the time that we uh, fly away. So God is everlasting. He inhabits eternity. Scripture says that he is the living God. Unto him, you know, one day is, is a thousand years. And he's immutable. He says, I change not. He is omniscient. And blessed in verse 12 of Psalm 33, 11, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And we see that in verse 13 that the Lord looks from heaven. He beholds all the sons of men from the place of his habitation. He looks upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Psalm 147.5 tells us, Great is our Lord. His understanding is, is infinite. In Acts 15.18 it says that uh, known to him are all his works. And that includes us, known to him. Acts 17 tells us that God is not far off. John chapter 5. Search the scriptures, verse 39, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You know, though we've not seen God, we learn of him through the scriptures. Then we put these things to heart and then do his will, and we see more and more of his glory. We know God, what God is like, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is merciful, that he gave his only begotten son, that we should have everlasting life. We know that God is love. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, that the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit be with you. So we have his spirit, that spirit of mercy, of love, loving kindness. Verse 86, I mean Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon you. So he's given us his love and mercy and kindness. And, and no wonder that he says he's a jealous God. He's done all these things for us. He's put his love and his kindness and his concern toward us. And so he is a jealous God, especially when we go after other people things after uh, idols. Let's go back to Psalm uh, 22, nearing the end. It says, clock is set right, I suppose. Two, it's only 
It means I have 30 more minutes. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Let's go back to Psalm 22, verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. I'm reading from the NIV on this one, by the way. So this verse lets us know that we are to fear, that we are to praise, and we are to glorify God no matter our situation. That God does here and has extended his mercy to you and me. These things keep us close to God when we fear him, when we praise him, when we glorify him in whatever way that is good. It's what holds people together. It's what holds their lives together. Verse 24, he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And we can all be grateful for that because he has forgiven our sins and he is our atonement. Psalm 111. And this will be the last uh, reference that I have here. Verse 1, praise you the Lord. Verse 2, the works of the Lord are great. Verse 3, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 4, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given meat or food unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the, the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure, and they stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. And that is why you see, you know, most uh, ministers that are in the church never use that word reverend in front of their name, because holy and reverend is God's name. And we're kind of like uh, David, and we all in some way or that way. We, we're we're kind of like the worm, but God has seen to it that we come out of the dust of the earth into the glorious uh, resurrection. Verse 9, He sent redemption unto His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverent is His name. In verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and a good understanding have all they that do His commandments because his praise endures forever. So, as a church, as a nation, as an individual, we're to remember to fear God and do his will, to praise him and glorify him, and he will not be far off. To God be the glory.